1: Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is actually a really good friend of mine, and I can't believe that this is the first time she's been on the show. Her name is Christine Lenick. She is the senior vice president of Cosgrove Muir Productions and co-producer of the reboot of Unsolved Mysteries for Netflix. The first six episodes of Unsolved Mysteries premiered July 1st, 2020, and held the number one spot for nine days. Not bad. And the remaining six episodes from season one will be released later this year. Hey, Christine.
0: Hey, Pilar. <laughs> Great to be here. Congratulations on all that. Oh, thank you. It's, it's exciting. I'm really happy that um, Unsolved Mysteries is back out there trying to solve these mysteries because mysteries never end. Um, that's one thing with our show is Every day there's new crime, there's new unexplained events happening, so the stories really just generate themselves, and we're excited that we get to present these twelve great new stories so okay, so
1: Netflix and reboot and and also, I think your uh, production team um, also does Stranger Things,
0: right? Yes. Yeah. So we, um, Cosgrove Mirror Productions is partnered with 21 Labs, which is the production company behind 21, um, be, behind Stranger Things. So that was exciting to be able to partner up with them. And that was kind of how the reboot happened is that, you know, really for years, um, I guess the last seven years, um, myself and uh, the creator of the show, Terry Muir and John Cosgrove, and another colleague, we've really wanted the show to come back. And we've had many people approach us, uh, different great directors, great great production companies, different um, cable outlets. And every time we started down the development path with them, it just didn't feel like the timing was right. Either the format they were suggesting or um, kind of the the network, the vibe of that, maybe the network um, wasn't the right Avenue we didn't feel like, and so we really held out until um, we found the right producing partner and the right uh, streaming service, which was Netflix. It was absolutely the right home for it. it. It's what allowed it to be so successful is that it ended up on a streaming service, and creatively we could kind of do what we wanted to do.
1: So, so tell me about some of the creative differences. Not that that sounds bad. That sounds like cool yeah. <laughs> the differences creatively in this reboot versus. The, the Unsolved Mysteries We Got to Know and Love.
0: Sure. Um, the, w- we've now started talk, referring to the old uh, episodes as the vintage episodes. I like it. Uh, just vintage. It makes it sound, you know, makes it sound good, good not old. Um, <laughs> That's but, how, you know, how I refer to
1: myself, actually. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Vintage. Um, so in the past, the other, the vintage episodes had multiple segments in each hour. So that we might be telling three to four stories in an hour We had the wonderful host, Robert Stack, who was, you know, people consider him the iconic host of the show. We had some other hosts of the show that came on later after he passed away, but he is the beloved host. He was, he set the bar very high. Um, And so in this version we, you know, we felt like storytelling has changed. The world has changed. Uh, streaming does not have commercial breaks. So we wanted to be able to take a really deep dive into one story. And so that's a big difference. And we're not doing four to three stories an hour. We're doing one story. And we also do not have a host. Um, we wanted these individuals whose story that they're telling it to be you know, their mystery that we're trying to solve and that it really comes from their heart and, and, you know, they're the ones driving the narrative. And, and so that, w- we felt like we could really honor and and give them the time they needed to tell the story because often in some of the shorter segments that we did, we would get in and get out before you could find the holes, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, <laughs> Cause some of the stories can be uh, in that form. It could be a little thinner or a little bit shorter. Um, and these stories really, really had to hold up. They had to have, multiple theories, multiple suspects, multiple interviewees. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's been a great journey in, in being able to take a deep dive into storytelling in this new format.
1: You know, I didn't realize that the vintage uh, Unsolved Mysteries had actually started as far back as 1985. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Yes. It's been on the air continuously for 34 years. So it's never been off the air somewhere. So uh, it's a, again, that's when I was saying that this, this, the stories, I mean, we have a huge, vast library of stories still to draw upon. And with this release on Netflix, we still are getting more submitted in. And it's just proved to be this, this genre uh, that the audiences love, they can't seem to get enough of it. It is the vintage um, library of episodes is on Amazon Prime and a bunch of other places. On Peacock, it's on Hulu. Uh, it's in like twelve different places that it streams those vintage episodes, and they get watched all the time. People will rewatch them, and and it fascinates me because I'm like, it's still unsolved. Um, so that's good. That it, in, in a yeah, way it's because good. It's great. You
1: could it's, still solve it if the you know they could actually know something and have a tip and actually change, change, uh, the way this is?
0: Absolutely. So on the, in the vintage ones, back when we did it, um, starting in the eighties, when a case would be updated, when a, a viewer might help us solve the case, we would do an update and then we would Tag that to the end of another episode. You know, when we were on NBC, um, you could you could be in episode one and you, you'd still be in production, so you could tag that update on before the, even the end of the the season, um, or maybe the next season you would bring back the update. So that certainly audiences seem to really love that. One other unique thing about this show is that we continually still do updates. Once a year, we go back into the show and anything that's been solved. So even now, the shows that are on Amazon Prime are current. We um, either in the Dennis Farina version, he was one of our hosts, we have a narrator come in and redo some VO at the end so that at the end of the episode, people get an update that is as fresh as six months ago. Or at the end of the Robert Stack episodes, we put a card that says at this point, often what, what these cards say are the the suspect has since died or he has since been released or whatever it is. Because so much time has passed. A lot of these cases are old. But sometimes we get a fresh solve where someone's apprehended and, and goes to trial and, and gets charged with a crime.
1: There were – I'm looking here. How many um... – mysteries that were actually solved over 260 cases is that right that were yes. solved through the show like people calling in with a tip line and absolutely wow wow that's yeah be so rewarding as it i mean is. as a it's producer good. it's not necessarily what you think is your job but i, w- I would imagine like you know, do you have a,
0: like a little chart of
1: like, yeah, we did and we solved another one?
0: <laughs> we we do. We get very, very excited because it really it is what I love so much about finding these stories and also working on this show is that you get the opportunity to give people closure, which is, you know, like, for example, um, the story No Ride Home in the Netflix episodes. Um, it's the Alonzo Brooks story. That story is 16 years old. And the family doesn't know what happened to their child. Their their son, Alonzo, went to a party one night with some friends, and he never came home. And that is every parent's worst nightmare. Um, And, you know, in hearing that story, we felt like this could be solved. You know, somebody out there knows what happened at that party, and if we can shed some light on it, um, all the better. And since um, we... It's it's taken two years to produce these 12 episodes. So we started two years ago with, you know, scouting the stories, doing the interviews, doing production, doing the post-production, all that. Um, And at the time when we first started, the case was basically closed but on June 11th, the FBI reopened the case right before we went, right before we premiered on Netflix, the FBI reopened Alonzo's case and put up a hundred thousand dollar reward. Wow. And that was, and that got us very excited. We're excited for the family that they again might get closure and excited for the exposure to the story. And then last week, the FBI exhumed his body. And so we know that, you know, in, speaking to the FBI, they're like, it's just part of the ongoing investigation, but certainly new attention, new movement is happening. That's great. The family's really grateful to Unsolved Mysteries for shedding some light on this case. And we're just happy to do it.
1: Wow. Wow. That's wonderful. And when you watch that particular episode um, and I I would encourage everybody to do that, you really will feel how rewarding that is because the frustration of the family um, and it, it seems like a, a roadblock because of racial issues too, you yes. know, um, to to leave it and go, it's unsolved, you know, knowing that this is actually helping. That's awesome. Terrific. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's good. You mentioned two years, two years to create a story. <laughs> what? So tell, tell everybody a little <laughs> yeah. bit more about the process of this, because, you know, people go, oh, well, you know, I'm writing fiction and you know, uh, this is just real life and they just document it. It's like, no, there's a huge storytelling engine with docudrama, uh, or I should say yeah. docu-series, not docudrama. So so right. let everybody in a little bit on that process.
0: Well, I think, you know, we initially start with um, going through, again, like I talk about this database or library of stories that we have, and just a small team of us, just really like three of us were really culling through that and digging through that. And we literally have a physical board in a big conference room with categories up on a wall and we're putting stories up and, you know, in looking for stories, we, again, why we loved working with Netflix is it's a global audience and they wanted international stories as well. And we wanted to represent people from all over the world, which is fantastic. So up on the board, we would have, uh, categories you're missing your UFO, your ghost, Your wanted, your unexplained death, death, your murder, your you know your miss. I think I said missing twice. Um, But these categories, and then under each category, we would try and put: um, is it a female victim, a male victim, diversity of of location and background? And then it became a big puzzle piece for us to choose what do what's the strongest of these twelve that that really captured the full smorgasbord of mystery and and people. Um and then you bet on another level, which is again what I talked about, just how many theories there are, how many interviewee subjects, how many um kind of clues and interesting information that's out there about the story. Um and then from there we choose them and then we start taking a deep dive. We have story producers that we then pass it off to, um, that start making calls to see if these people actually do want to have their show, their story documented, because it's going to be a commitment. And certainly in like the Ray Rivera case, uh, Allison, the wife was really our protagonist and she told the story, but she had to be willing to spend a lot of time revisiting that very traumatic experience in her life. And she decided that this was the moment to do it, because if she didn't, it, this her, that case wouldn't get this kind of attention again. So uh, as hard as it was, she agreed to do it. And then we um, we go out and we scout. We go to every location. That's the executive producers. Um, Terry, Meyer and Bob Wise went to every location and met with them in person before we agreed to actually do the story. Because you want to meet them in person to understand. So they understand what they're getting into. But also for us to understand, is this producible do we have enough material? Um, is this going to hold an hour? Um, that's kind of like the criteria. And then they come back and start crafting a, a really long outline and then crafting interview questions. And then uh, then we put together a big crew of people. We had a much bigger crew than we had in the past um, because Netflix uh, – Afforded us that, and they afforded us some great filmmakers to work with, and certainly the greatest technology that we had. Um, That's why I I personally think it looks great. Um, And we came back to those towns and then filmed the interviews. And then we also, you know, in the vintage episodes, we did uh, recreations with actors, and we would cast those actors as lookalikes. And some people think, (laughs) They, they make comments on it. They're like, it's a little cheesy now. Like when you watch that now, the eighties versions of it, um, that's another reason where we're like, that's not going to play today. Mm-hmm. That's not going to play on Netflix to have that kind of recreation. So, our those moments we called them, you know, stylized moments? You know, they weren't full on recreations, but you know, we went back to those towns and did a, you know a lot of B roll and a lot of use of drone. I mean, there's everyone uses drones in documentaries now. Um, And then came back with all that and started crafting the story. And that's more in, in the post side with editors. We had a great um, supervising producer who uh, started to string out what the story could be based on everything we brought back. Um, Documentaries also include archival footage, home videos from family, uh, photos from the family and all of that paints the the picture of who the person was that we're, we're highlighting. And, um, that was a really long answer. Thank you so much. Well, it's a really long process. (laughs) It's a two year process. It's exactly
1: what I wanted.
0: And I think that, um, why it took so long is because we produced 12 mini documentaries. We did them all in, in two years. We were all over, you know, we have these six locations and, and, uh, six other locations that were again, all over the, all over the world. And it was having different teams going at the same time and in different s- stages of each production. So, um, it was exciting. I and mean, we ran into a lot of, we had tornadoes in Kansas. I mean, we had things that were, um, that delayed things, you know, there was so many things with productions this production as people know, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't account for. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really, it was exciting. And, and yes, it takes a long time.
1: So, you know, you mentioned the outlining process, right? Um, and mm-hmm. this is this is before all the footage is put together. And then there's the string out, yeah. right, of the footage, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, you know, you're, you're a storyteller. You're a screenwriter. I happen to know you're very good at it. Um, so sort of looking at just the story of it, if somebody was writing a mystery or writing a thriller, are there certain narrative patterns that you've noticed work well when you're outlining a mystery, um, even a real life mystery like this?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, for us, we always try and set up with some kind of great tease. I mean, I feel like it's with a mystery, you really need to, that, that the hook and the grab at the very beginning, it was something that we try and do very strongly because you want to get them into it. Um, I think we we don't jump around a lot we do a lot of linear storytelling just for the tv audience if if it's we want to kind of follow even in this you'll see we have a graphic timeline to let people follow along with the story telling um i feel like you know we allow like the storyteller to tell it based on their emotional experience and I think in this this version of the Netflix version, we really tried to add, not add, but really explore that emotional life and much more so than we did back in the vintage version, which I felt like was a more retelling of facts and like this happened and this happened. And I think in this one, we really wanted to have these characters, I mean, they are real people, but these characters be the driving emotional force in the storytelling. And um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. You no, know, it does because, uh,
1: but, <laughs> no, because I think, I think what you're talking about, because I noticed there's, you know, we're in the normal life of the victim mm-hmm. um, in act one, so to speak, right? Like if this right, was sort yes. of a mini movie, yes, yes it, exactly. it feels like, okay, so you know, the sort of what could possibly go wrong. This is, you know, a, a happy, happy person. And then yes. sort of your break into two is when whatever happens, the, the, the event right. that becomes right. the mystery. And then I also noticed that, you know, everybody's on a certain track, usually sort of, you know, feeling the same thing. And then there's a, for want of a better expression, if this was, a, again, a feature, it would be like a midpoint event where things pivot a little bit, where it's, wait a minute, here's a new piece of information or why did this just go through without more investigation or um, the family gets involved? Like, it seems like, that midpoint event turns things up a, a notch, it
0: feels yeah, like I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I think that one phrase that Terry Muir uses a lot is peeling back the layers mm-hmm. that you start with the party of Alonzo going to the party. That's the, you know, the inciting moment. And then every little thing that happened after that, um, and it and it keeps not adding up. And you 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 present one thing and that doesn't add up, and this you present this and this doesn't add up, and you talk to the cops and they say one thing, the family says something else. Um, and letting all those voices chime in, um, and yes, it 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 very much um it does feel like it does go in like three acts of mm-hmm. of like what what's happening and and, and it it's it's funny because so many people even now are commenting on social media. Like I was watching unsolved mysteries and I was so disappointed. There was, there was no solution. I'm like, that's the title. And so these stories don't have an ending. So you do have to come up with a way to, to wrap it up that feels satisfying without, um, disappointing the audience. And that's what the host used to do. He would always have, uh, Robert would always have some clever way of wrapping up the final, the final um, beat of the episode with something of like, you know, the perhaps you can help solve a mystery, but he would kind of help with some closure. And with this one, you know, we just have to leave it for the audience to, uh, you know, be that armchair detective, take what we've presented, put, Put their little detective hat on and see if they can figure out what they think the solution is. And then many of them have absolutely solved the mysteries. They've all decided, you know, we've had so many people like, I got it. I've solved it. I know who did it. And then they've taken to social media. They've taken to Reddit, to Facebook. Instagram. And we've had such a huge social media outpouring of fans that want to talk about these six m- mysteries, and they want to solve them themselves. And they want to tell you what the ending of the story is. So they're writing it for themselves, which is great, because it's there's a such a variety of theories and speculation on what they think really happened.
1: Isn't that interesting that, you know, of course, there's the drive to help people. And that's why you would want to solve the mystery, right? But there's also yeah. the the drive to i want a more satisfying third act right
0: yeah they want they do and they will tell you what they think that third act is and that's interesting because we don't know so when it when one of these cases gets solved it'll be interesting to compare to what we think it is or what the fans are saying it, it this what they think it is, is what their speculation is because yeah it's it's all over the map I'm, I'm from xavier where they think he is to ray rivera where they think what happened to him um Our fans are amazing and they've got great storytelling sense. They come up with a lot of really good endings (laughs) and I don't know if any of them will be correct, but, um,
1: Isn't that funny? Like, well, if I was writing a fictional version, here's the ending I would do. And then to see if the truth, if that might actually lead you toward the truth is kind of really interesting on a a factual basis.
0: On a factual basis. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like is, I mean, I think it's, is it's, writers out there what we do these stories and as i've been talking about it and i say there's so much material out there if you're a writer and you're looking for some compelling uh, uh, inspiration look in the mystery genre look you know i know tons of people do true crime um, murder and all that i love the category of the unexplained death to me, that's more compelling than murder because it's when it's been, det- when it's, when you don't really know, was it suicide? Was it murder? Um, what's it an accident? You know, uh, those cases can be very, very meaty and it leaves the people in their lives, uh, just in limbo and in a real weird, uh, state of not ever really knowing what happened to their loved one. Uh, and I, I feel like it's a great source for even scripted material. Um, because they're just again, we find stories that haven't been really ex- exploited too much because we want them to be fresh for the audience, we're not going to do Jean Monet right you know because that's been done so much um, but I think there's a lot of rich, rich material out there to you know turn any of these any of these stories could be a scripted version of, uh, you know, you could take any of these and turn them into a scripted something. Well, I wanted I to think. know, have
1: people been in touch and said, I really want to do, uh, you know, uh, I, I really want the rights to this particular story. Has any, have, have screenwriters or producers gotten in touch and said, Hey, can you, can you connect me with somebody because I want to do uh, a movie adaptation of this, of this event? Right.
0: The, the ones on Netflix, I think Netflix, I think they, if the, if we were going to do something scripted, maybe they'd want to do something scripted. But no one of these six stories has come out to us and came to us. They might approach the actual individuals that whose story it is. Um, but so far, I've not heard of anyone. But we, in the past, produced many movies of the week, many movies of the week based on Unsolved Mystery episodes. Back when movies of the week were a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cosgrove Mirror probably did 12 to 13 movies of the week, ripped from the headlines based on Unsolved Mystery episodes. So we turned our own stories into movies back in the day, but that genre kind of went away. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, you know, one thing about streaming, which I think as a writer is exciting, is that things that didn't get produced... Because, you know, that middle range budget movie, like a movie of the week type movie or even a romantic comedy, which is what I love, weren't getting made for a long time as a big studio movies. And I think now with streaming, there's a place for these types of movies because uh, they're, they are producing what I would consider what a movie of the week would have been back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see some of those types of stories popping up on streaming services now. That true crime from the headlines kind of story. I
1: I was going to ask you, I mean, um, like I said, you're a great writer and yes, your, your genre was always um, sort of high concept comedy or romantic comedy in, in, in a way Um, I have, has this made you a different writer? I mean, like, have you learned from, from doing this kind of, of material? Has it helped you as a scripted writer? you know, for your fictional or has has being was being a a fictional screenwriter helpful in what you're doing now?
0: I think being I think being passionate about telling good stories is definitely has been helpful like that. I never get tired of when it's like, let's look for a new story. I never get tired of that. I want to dig in. I want to read. I want to find out new stuff. I think that being a screenwriter that has definitely helped me in the producing side and, and just that passion to uncover that gem um as far as like i feel like i'm a little compartmentalized and like producing i'm a like solver of mysteries and a writer of romantic comedies and that the two don't um share maybe so, so many similarities um because i feel like i do that my, myself, it's not that they couldn't. I think that I'd like to keep those two worlds separate. What I do all day is very dark. I spend hours looking at murder. I look at missing children. I d- take deep dives into very sad and tragic stories and spend a lot of time with them. And that's my day job. And then at night, I want to write about love and comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it really, to me, I, I do, I think, keep it, those stories separate and spend my time separately just as a mental health break.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you. I'm like, <laughs> I've known you for a long, long time, and you're a really chill mom. I was like, how is she not a more paranoid person? Like, I,
0: I, that must
1: be hard. I have my
0: paranoias, and I, you know, things I, with my family, with my niece who's in college, with my sister when she was dating, I would be like, look... <laughs> I'm going to tell you the do's and don'ts because, you know, the age range that I read a lot about is uh, girls, college age girls that go missing and college age girls that bad things happen to. And that, for whatever particular reason, that terrifies me because I have people in my life and I'm always trying to warn people. I'm like, you know... uh, I, I I do think I have a greater sense of what bad things in this what bad things happen in this world um, because I spent so much time with it
1: well that in it's stories, easy for us we we have uh, created a uh, an international virus that uh, forces our 15 year old to stay in the house and uh, and so far we've done a great job of just uh, just <laughs> It was it was a little extreme as a way of keeping her in, but
0: right, you know, I know. But I know you feel safe. You're like Elisa at home. So
1: far, so good. Right? She's uh, so far, so good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it does. It does. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it does mess with you a little bit as when you're when this is all the storytelling that you do for a long, long time. But again. I feel like if we can get some closure to it, I think it somehow there's the, the, the dark side of it and then there's the potential of the very bright side of it where we can um, help put someone in jail or, or solve a, a mystery. I mean, there's some mysteries we're not going to solve. the um, Ghosts, UFOs, unsolved mysteries is not going to solve that, but we can shed light on the stories that people want to tell about their experiences with those phenomena. That's one thing that's different. This isn't all just crime. This is a mystery show, so it encompasses you know, unexplained events as well, which is also good material. So
1: I have to ask you about the UFOs and the supernatural stuff and the ghost stuff Mm -hmm. and all that. So how much fun, you know, how much fun is that to also be exploring those kind of mysteries?
0: I love it. I really (laughs) do. I mean, I would say that that provides another avenue to go down as, as as a someone who loves to find great stories. Cause it, it, we're like, if you're tired of murder, go look for a UFO for a day, you know? <laughs> so you can take a, it's a little palate cleanser in between all the crime. Um, so I mean the, the episode, uh, the Berkshire episode, um, I, I thought that was really fascinating because I, those, you know, when those people tell their story, you know they i believe them i believe they saw something i believe that um they believe and it's it's fascinating and it's compelling and um, I was grateful that they wanted to share their story. Those, um, those individuals suffered a lot growing up as kids because you never want to be the weird kid that says, I saw a UFO in school, and then be teased and not believed. And so for them, it, it's been very validating. And one thing that's amazing is that since uh, the show premiered, we've had many other people send us their stories of that night in that area saying my dad growing up would tell me the story of what he saw and i never believed him and thank you so much for for sharing the story because now i believe my dad and i never did and and there's just a lot of validation that's happening in that community right now for for things that they were maybe made fun of and and not believed and now they are and so um and then there's the people that will never believe that there's other um you know Extraterrestrials or other life out there. What I thought was interesting also is just this week, uh, the Pentagon announced that they're going to release information from their UFO files.
1: Ooh, that's so cool.
0: That just happened this week. So stay tuned, people, next week. Uh, and I was like, is this just another uh, press distraction or do they really have something? Um, because there was an incident with naval, uh, some naval uh, pilots. Who really captured something on film that they can, you know, very credible men um, who came on uh, this is not that long ago and said, "We saw something we could not explain. We saw an aircraft maneuvering and and um, behaving in a way we cannot explain on any level that is earthly." I saw and that. So the thing it, that looks it, like uh, a tic tac, it right? It's they call it the, the tic tac UFO. I love so, that. You know, I think again as storytellers and like y- you, you just you. You get excited because we don't want to believe. I mean, how many movies have been made about have been made about people in space and, and contact with other beings that have been amazing? I mean, E.T. I mean, come on. Uh, we all want to believe in E.T. So I think that's exciting. I think um, as, as humans, we, we, we want to believe there's something else out there. And I believe there's something else out there.
1: Well, especially doing all this work, you must just be like, yeah, okay, I'm in.
0: After, after just, 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 (laughs) you do it. Yeah, you just you got you got to you got to kind of put yourself out there and just be like, you know, and and until they prove to me otherwise, I'm going to believe this story. I'm going to take it, you know, and, and believe it. I think ghosts. I've never seen a ghost. So I've not seen that. Um, But, you know, there are people that swear that they have and they've had experiences. And who am I to say that didn't happen? Uh, So, again, you just want to present that story, what they have to say, their experience, how it made them feel, you know, what happened. Let them have that forum and let the audience decide what they think.
1: Okay. Um, Storyteller hat off for a second, producer hat on. Okay. Uh Um, Not that you can really distinguish the two, but in this case, this is all about selling things. So if, if let's say somebody who's listening says, I have a great idea for a docu-series, Mm -hmm. great idea for docu-series, what would be um, a question that you would ask them to ask themselves? you know, or something that they should be thinking about. If they really think they have a great docu-series as a producer, what would make, what, what do they need to be thinking about?
0: I would say access. I would say, what do you have access to? What story do you have access to? What people do you have access to that is new and unique and, and uh, is compelling and needs to be told and when I say needs to be told, I would say why now? Why are you telling this story now? You know, if someone were to do a documentary on Black Lives Matter, that would seem very relevant and we know why now. We need to make change and and, and get that story out there. So I think um, having some kind of unique access to a story or a unique angle in And then your your why now, if it's because something is about to happen, and you're going to document that change in real time as you witness it. Um, That's what I think I would ask. Um, A rehashing of a historical event with just archival footage maybe isn't as exciting as what we're seeing right now in streaming. Um, I mean... Tiger King went insane. People went insane for that because the characters, it was outrageous. Uh, they had access. They got—they had so much footage and so much. They, that the, the documentarian, he just was invited into that world and just followed them around forever. And I've been watching The Last Dance and I think with Michael Jordan, that story, and I, it's amazing the access they had. They happened to have cameras back in 1997 following that whole season and had all this footage. Um, you know, there's another documentary, LA 92, they made a whole documentary out of just archival footage. And it was the access they had to that where they, there's just, they found a big stash of archival footage You're like somewhere in here we can build a great story. And they did. It was amazing. Um, I think that's so hopefully that that answers your question. It absolutely
1: (laughs) does. I mean, the access meaning meaning who do you know and and how and what kind of footage do you have? But the why now being and how does it connect? How is it relevant to the world today? And and there, you know, we can look, you know, when you look at through a 2020 lens, right at something in the past, it actually could be exactly the right time. Uh, to, to put out your docu-series. Yes. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Christine. This has been very helpful and a lot of fun. And I am going to be uh, probably binging the rest of the Unsolved Mysteries episodes. Um, so everybody can still find them right now on Netflix, right? Yep. Um yes. The first six of season one. And then the remaining six will be released later this year.
0: Right, that is that is correct. So there's there will be more mysteries to solve before the end of the year, and I will just encourage your listeners to if they have a story that they want produced, um, submit it to unsolved. dot com because we we produced uh, one of the stories in the first batch of six a viewer sent to us and we produced their story. Excellent. So excellent. Send us your mysteries. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Everybody, go uh, there. Thank- Go there, go to the website. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun chatting and, and I miss seeing you. So this I miss seeing
1: you too. This was, this was a, a good way to get together, but then we have to get together socially and just, just I know. yammer around about nothing like exactly. we usually do. Yeah.
0: I know it's exciting.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you. So thank you, Christine. And um, I just also want to remind everybody to go to on the the writing feature film class is starting August 8th and goes through the end of August. It is four parts. It's Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific time. And you will break story, get into outline, and be deep into pages by week four. Christine has taken a version of this in the past. <laughs> and, uh,
0: and you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, right? It's so much fun. And it... Man, it kicks your ass. (laughs) So good, though, in that kind of ass-kicking way you need.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Christine. So go to onthepage.tv and do check that out. I'd love to, to work with you guys. Thanks again to Christine Lenick. Thanks to all of you for listening. And have a good writing week.